0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Hangover Podcast, part two, Joshua Reynolds uh, on a Friday morning, exactly Friday afternoon, it's 12 o'clock and five seconds. We are, uh, we're together today with, uh, with you and with Grant Gardner, who, uh, slayed last night in his in his sermon preaching
1: debut killed Judas
0: <laughs> literally <laughs> he slayed <laughs> he killed Judas
1: oh <laughs> well, yeah Judas Judas is like I feel like such an interesting character cause like you you don't really know much of like his backstory it seems like all the disciples tend to kind of like leave out his backstory so like a lot of like what we know about Judas is kind of like speculation or like you know like hearing from people like Judas is a zealot I'm always like where does that come from (laughs) and that's always like so I had to like look it up and find like a lot of scholars predicted from his last name but it's just interesting that like none of the disciples were like Judas Iscariot here's how he started following Jesus he just kind of shows up in the story and betrays Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then leaves the story. So tell us, uh, tell, tell the itching ears out in our audience, what is it like to to be handed a text, to be invited to teach, and then to do that work um, in the process of, yeah, pre- preparation for a sermon?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, anytime like, you're handed a text I feel like especially when we're going through like a short amount of text like this you also have to find other texts to go with it so that you're not just preaching from a point of like six verses but you're adding context to it um, which was cool for me because I think I came to you at the time in my Bible for reading a, through the Bible in a year plan and I was at Zechariah and I hit this last passage of uh, Zechariah when it talks about the people selling Zechariah out for 30 pieces of silver, um, which was the last passage in Zechariah, and I instantly was like, dude, that's Judas. Yeah, There has to be some connection here. And so I talked to you about it, and then you were like, check out some podcasts from people who know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in <Without laughs> doubt, don't trust Josh. <coughs> Get it verified from another source, at least a couple.
1: And so wh- when I looked at the podcast, it was interesting because a lot of the podcast or what the scholars had to do with it when they were going through Zechariah, a lot of them tended to leave out the last couple of verses, um, and they were mostly talking about uh, Zechariah's literature and, and talking about like punishment for Israel or people against Israel in the Old Testament, but not a lot of them were like talked about the last passage, which was crazy to me because I was like, dude, no one's going to bring up this like Jesus part.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I've got it pulled up. This is Zechariah 11, and uh, I'm going to start in verse 10 Mm -hmm. because um, in my Bible, whenever I read, there's different colors uh, and different colors represent different things. And verse ten has a blue highlight because Jeremiah does uh, a very Gandalfian thing. If you if you catch my catch my thrust of my staff, and he names his staff. Did Gandalf like have a name for his weapon staff?
1: That's that's a good question. All right. I am the not, shall not passer. The sh-
0: <laughs> Gandalf had a shall not pass. All right, so Zachariah has the exact same thing. Uh, <clears throat> here's what verse ten says. Then I took my staff called favor. Like he names his staff favor, uh, and it's it's there also in seven. Uh, I took two staffs. One staff called favor and the other called Union. And basically, what, what Zechariah is doing is he is having literal representations uh, in front of different people so they can see the prophecy and as an allegory for what is going to happen as a metaphor in, in his prophecy. Super cool. I took my staff called favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day, and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. And then here's the part that when we read it, we immediately go to Judas a little bit. If you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. And that's Zechariah talking. And so the people there paid 30 pieces of silver. And then the Lord said, Throw that silver to the potter. It's the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver, I threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff, Union, and was breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. The Lord said, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. So you were teaching last night, and this was the passage where you're like, connection? And and go ahead and just kind of rehash the main idea of why Judas might know this text, and, and we might make the connection between 30 pieces of silver mm-hmm. and the potter's field.
1: Yeah, if you read Acts... Um you can see Acts 1, uh, is it 16 through 19? Mm-hmm. Um, you can see it there, but I think um, if you read Matthew's account of Judas, it also like, adds a little bit more context to Judas. Uh, so this is Matthew 27, verse 3. Um, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them in the treasury since it is blood money. So they took the council and bought with them a potter's field and a burial place for strangers. And so the potter's field was key because you see that in Zechariah the potter's field described. And the 30 pieces of silver um, throwing it into the temple. These are all connections to exactly what Zechariah said. For sure.
0: And Jeremiah 19 and Jeremiah 32. We see this, this continual connection in these spaces of the potter, the number of coins, and then I think whenever... So here's me as a teacher. Whenever I am making these connections that seem so obvious... I thought you did a great job last night of drawing the connection, but not necessarily demanding that the whole room meet you on it. I think that's one of the beautiful pieces of, of... Having the whole of the story of the of the Old Testament and the New in completion, we can make those those visual, obvious, quote unquote, apparent connections, um, and we can also trust the sovereignty of of the story, which Judas did play out, and and he did actively uh, show or demonstrate Zechariah's words and Jeremiah's my storylines. Um, I think what we have to do as people is be able to, as our friend Marty says, trust the story rather than maybe preach and demand that everybody meets us in that space. So probably the most powerful point of the night for me was when you, uh, along the lines of that trust the story, whenever you showed the difference between uh, Judas and Peter, but then you connected yourself as your clothes. So, again, what's it like to think about preaching and find yourself in the story?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's key that like you find yourself somewhere in the story, because if anytime you're talking about just a good story in general, which is like what we agree sermons should be, is a story that invites people in. And any time we're doing that, we have to connect that to our own experience, to our own humanity. Mm -hmm. And so, any good story brings you into what that is and makes you relate either with the main character or somebody there, so that you feel what they feel. And so, like, when we're reading scripture and stuff, we are trusting and seeing God's overall story, but we're also seeing the scripture and putting ourselves into the story. In passages like Jonah when the book of Jonah just ends with a question of God saying do you have the right to be mad and so we're thinking to ourselves you know like this story was not about necessarily Jonah or anything but it's a story to look in ourselves as a mirror and so that's like what I believe scripture to be and so when we're preaching I think we have to bring people into that story and so to bring other people in, we have to find ourselves in it, and so that's kind of the key that I always look for: is where do I find myself within this story, mm. and where where have I messed up? Where have I been, so I can be vulnerable with the crowd and show them? I'm not up here on a pedestal talking to you, but I've definitely been Judas before I've been Peter, and so. Uh, Giving that connection, I think, to the crowd um, is definitely something that can help bring them into the story as well. Because if I've done it, chances are someone else in the room has too. <laughs> <laughs> You've had your guts burst open. <clears throat> That's good.
0: That's super good. I really appreciate. I really appreciate that. Hard. Um, so, train in truth. Is uh, one of the core values of CSF, uh, especially in the first several weeks. It's one of the it's one of the primary core values that I want to teach. Uh, our our encounter space. We have uh, last night about one hundred thirty or so people, one hundred fifty the week before, and so we have a large crowd in the room that is. Um, of that, there's about 30 to 35 of those students who are brand new to CSF. Um, and so I'm always, I have in the back of my head, how, how do I make sure the DNA is being passed <clears throat> of our ministry? So training truth is is a really big deal. Um, and you just said, connect the story with my story. So could you kind of put into your own words uh, for us what what is train and truth as the as the DNA of of how specifically what we do um, last night in encounter with with our sermon space because that's what the hangar is all about mm-hmm. it's 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 the path of the of the sermon so how does train and truth like your understanding of it shape and inform
1: yeah um, even through a lot of our our leadership and things like this, one of our main missions this year is to have scripture guiding our leadership and stuff. And so if we're making a new plan, if we're doing something, we're finding that in scripture. Um, And this is a relief because it's similar to what you talked about last night in Psalm 69, that we're praying this prayer that we're not getting in the way of God's mission.
0: Give them context. Some people are going to totally skip the sermon and go straight to the hangover.
1: We right. understand.
0: Like where the people's uh-huh. uh, uh, hearts lie. Second Samuel uh, verse or chapter fifteen. 2 Samuel chapter fifteen. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and give us the context.
1: Um. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I just put him on the
0: spot. <laughs> yeah. How well did you listen? Check, check. Alright, we're back. Uh, so
1: Okay. <laughs> While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for a hit the Oh, a hit the If you uh, say it really fast,
0: no one can argue. <laughs> no one can argue with you.
1: The Gillonite, um, David's counselor to come from Gillow, his hometown, and so the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following kept on increasing. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered as he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. Now David had been told Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. And so in Psalm 69, uh, David is kind of um, what we kind of innocent sufferer um, but this is after the time that he's already killed Uriah yeah so how innocent is he I don't know <laughs> we also see him later in this chapter get insulted by a man on a hill and they <laughs> oh said my gosh and they say master should we kill him <laughs> and he's like nah let him let him let him ring down curses because Maybe maybe this is something by God. Oh my and so uh, we see David through this, that David doesn't claim this title of innocence. Um, oh my gosh. But in his, in his Psalm 69, he's, he's praying a prayer to uh, not let him get in the way of the mission of God.
0: Oh my gosh, you guys, you don't even appreciate... <laughs> What Grant just (laughs) dropped on you. All right, he said two different things. Thing number one is, he said, Ahithophel is conspiring against David. And the question is, how innocent is David? Because he's already sentenced Uriah to die. And so Grant just drops that little bomb (laughs) on... On, uh, on us <laughs> there's <coughs> level 1 and then level 2 he says the very next chapter Shammai is this wild man so David's on the run ok David is legit on the run there's a political coup happening and David does not want it to turn into a war because functionally he doesn't want to kill his own kid mm-hmm. and it's Absalom who is leading the revolt <clears throat> and so <laughs> this wild man Shemmai <clears throat> Alright, this is uh 2 Samuel 16, uh, verse 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. His name was Shemai, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. Shemmai pelts David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and special guard were on the right and the left. As he cursed, Shemmai said, Get out! Get out, you murderer! You scoundrel! The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you've shed in the household of Saul in whose place you have
1: reigned.
0: I don't know if he said it quite like that. <laughs> he had to have. But in my mind, that's what's happening. Basically, as he's pelting them with stones, the Wilhelm scream, yeah! It is just raining down as each stone hits someone in the guard in the a special troop. This noise happens.
1: Not quite, quite, but it's close. It's close.
0: Maybe we'll clip that in. It's a rock
1: it. fight from it. Oh my gosh.
0: So David, so David's having a moment and Grant is dropping Shemaai bombs on us. Oh good heavens, that was ridiculous. That's why it, that didn't make it into our sermon. <laughs> <laughs> too much, too much. That's why we listen to The Hangover. We're glad you're here. Alright, so uh <clears throat> intention of this podcast is to not only celebrate and and just yeah encourage um, different rabbit trails, uh, things that we've left on the table. Um, the other part of it is for me to, to just be able to celebrate some people. And so celebrate CJ last week, uh, Grant this week. There's one other person that I had in my notes and I just 100% was in the moment with the flow of the room and I, I just totally blanked. Uh, so a quick shout out to Emily Burnett. Uh, Emily is the small group coordinator for Christian Student Fellowship and she has done an incredible job Uh, as I looked at my sermon I knew that it would be a perfect plug for small groups it was week two and so I asked Emily to send me um, just you know just a couple talking points so that way I could really value small groups in my sermon last night and I'm getting old. And so I totally forgot. <clears throat> and so, just uh, a public apology because Emily's a great leader, incredibly intentional. And here is what here's what I wanted to catch uh, and make sure that I honored her with. Um, she kind of she wrote me this in, and so I'm going to put her words into into my own flow. And then Grant has experienced an incredible small group for the last couple of years, so I'll let him shut us down this morning, but. Here's the, here's the words of Emily. Uh, we know that Jesus had a really large ministry. Uh, by the time Acts 1 shows up, there's 120 people. Uh, whenever Jesus would show up to preach, uh, four and 5,000 uh, people, men alone, not including women and children, would show up. And so whether it was feeding these masses and teaching them or being surrounded by a crowd of people, uh where they where everyone needed something uh searching for healing uh that jesus was totally used to being uh converged upon um but one of the things that emily drew out as she was thinking through this is that there was a group of men uh that we know them as disciples acts is going to call them the apostles um these this was just a small group um and in our world, uh, whether you're listening to this as a college student, whether you're listening to this as a, uh, a friend of our ministry, wherever you are in your community, <clears throat> we need uh, to have the deepening communities, places we're known uh, and where we know other people, intentional communities um, where, where we can be loved on a deeper level. And so last night we taught about loving your intentional community by eating with them, really just sharing a meal uh, regularly, but then also praying for each other. And there's this beautiful line that Emily brought out. It's a Matthew 18. And uh, it's Jesus saying that numbers for your small group are the least important piece. That's where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am with them. This is an encouragement to everyone out there um, that it doesn't matter the number of people that show up to your intentional community to your small group. We want to have uh, a place where we're vulnerable and a place where we love each other well. Um, and when it's in the name of Jesus, that promises us that He is present. So I thought that was a great word from Emily Burnett, CSFIndiana.org/slash/small-groups. Uh, That's what you find there. Grant's been a part of a couple good ones.
1: I have. um, I had a small group um, in high school, which was a a big reason for kind of my faith and my knowledge and background um, with Christianity. But it it wasn't until I got into a small group within college um, that I really started wrestling with my faith and stuff. And I think the key line there is, like, it's not about numbers. Because I know with our small group, with people's schedules and stuff, um, sometimes only two or three people will show up. Um, But sometimes those can be the most impactful times. Um, When we see Jesus go up to the mountain um, for the transfiguration, he brings... The exoskeleton (laughs) ripoff, as it were. He's molting. I'm melting. No. He's molting. Uh, We see Jesus bring, Uh, what was it, James, John, and Peter, Um, and so Jesus even had his smaller Mm -hmm. group within his small group, and so um, sometimes when we we get into a small group and stuff, um, a bigger number or something can kind of drown out um, voices and stuff sometimes. And so even um, meeting with people one-on-one or finding that time uh, I think is key because it allows us to, to have to go a, a level a little bit deeper and to um, just grow with those communities but definitely the, the big groups too are, are good as well but I think I really like the words that it's not about numbers mm-hmm. that's good for us all
0: yeah we're two or more gathered in my name I am there with them I am present that's, that's super good alright hangover podcast episode 2 anything to add?
1: Um, just a clarification this is not a hangover in the way that Judas hangs over (laughs) I think we're ending it there
0: (laughs) well done